Hello and welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're at home, on your way to work, or at the gym, we hope you enjoy this episode. And a special welcome to our Crux Club Early Access members. You can learn more about that at crux-club.com. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, Justin. How are you, sir? Hi, Matt. Doing great. How about yourself? Not bad. Busy day. Busy day. Been up since five o'clock doing some work. Um, and then I had to do my to-do list, which I just finished. The, the, the last thing on my to-do list was um, putting up fairy lights around the garden. Fairy lights? Fairy <clears throat> lights. Do you know what fairy lights are? Fairy, like uh, fairy dust. Fairy lights. Kind of like, like that. Like flying little creature fairy. Kind, kind, well, more they're, they're kind of a big, long string of small lights, usually around Christmas time. But we've, we've kind of got this area... It's kind of like a fire pit type thing, and the, the kids wanted to do it, so um, I got to do it. They let me do all the work, so that's what, great. A, that's what great. a good dad! I know I'm amazing. How did your how did your duck your your duck uh, fencing project go? That was quite good, actually. That was a quick and easy fix, and Mr. Foxy has had no luck. The ducks, the, the the eggs are still um, there. I think they'll hatch in the next couple of weeks. So um, nice hopefully. work. I know, I know. DIY king. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it. It's really not. I, I, I'm possibly the worst DIY person ever, but uh, I, I, I try hard. <laughs> That's what they said. Hey, I'm impressed. Well. <laughs> I mean, considering considering how busy you are with everything else, you're getting getting these. Honey do list uh, checked off. That's pretty pretty yeah, impressive. Yeah, that's you're a kind man. What what about yourself? How, what are you up to this weekend? Uh, the weekend. Oh gosh, I'm doing all sorts of uh, all sorts of projects around the house and the yard today, and then Sunday is usually my day to kind of hunker down and do some writing, um, look at some charts, catch up on emails, um, some news, newsletter time is Sunday. You have got yeah. a lot of things to catch up on, haven't you? What a week! Indeed, another yeah. week, another spectacular week. We should talk about some of those things. And I, I, I know the first thing I want to talk to you about is, you. I think you called it, uh, Cigar Lake. Uh, now have announced an indeterminate closure of uh, the facility there, which no one knows what indeterm- indeterminate means. It means I guess they'll they'll assess it when things maybe pick up a bit or COVID post COVID nineteen. Post price discovery, I guess. What was your take on that? Yeah, I think that was a pretty, pretty easy call. But um, I think um, obviously we sort we expected that to happen, and I think that's the the right call. I think um, amongst other mines that we've seen close globally, I think that mine in particular probably stands to. Um, be the, the the most let's let's say risky in terms of you know virus spread and at risk communities surrounding the area. So obviously, I think that it makes sense on a on a risk profile for Cameco and Orono and and the unions and everyone else involved um, for that mine in the mill. So I think um, clearly the market uh, responded pretty well to that news and continue to see spot price slowly climbing and. Oh, well, it's pretty fast, actually, if you look at recent history. But historically, it can make really big moves if there's a, a serious supply shock. But I think we're still in kind of the early stages of what really does this supply shock mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was 
I, you know, like you, I wasn't surprised to see it extend. You know, they, they've got... They've, they've closed it down for all the right reasons, as we talked about last week, um, for, for sure. Um, but as you say, the impact of that has moved the spot price. We'll, we'll talk about spot price and contract in a minute. But it, 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 when you come starting from a low base, it doesn't take a lot to move the dial. It, I, I guess the big question yeah. is, will it sustain? Will it continue to grow? What, what do you think? Um, I definitely think it will. I am, I'm sort of starting to frame <clears throat> a couple of scenarios in my mind as far as the, let's call it the the short, mid, and long term. Um, but I think for the time being, it, the picture is pretty clear. I think Cigar is going to be offline for multiple months. Um, I think if we just go with, because Adam Prom's guidance of three months, that seems logical and um, likely to happen. So I think we can probably book the the Kazadam Prom supply shock at that ten and a half million pounds or so. Um, and as far as cigar goes, I I still generally think we've got multiple months ahead of that closure. And you know I also think that <clears throat> for some of these players, specifically Camico, Orono, even to some extent, and Kazadam Prom, this this whole COVID nineteen situation I think actually is. Uh, let's, let's call it a, clearly it's, it's a risky situation that they need to be careful with for their employees, of course. But I think that it's sort of a great excuse for them to utilize this situation to their benefit. Um, I think that, I think that the presence of the carry trade over the past, especially over the past couple of years with Kazadam Prom out of the spot market, it's really impacted the uh, term volume, in my opinion, the term contracting volume. So if you figure, <clears throat> if you figure utility has, if let's say they're uncovered in two to three years, they need to do some contract buying. They're not really seeing the spot price rise in any meaningful way. What are they going to do? Are they going to sign a five plus year contract in the high thirties, low forties, or are they going to take out one, two, three year carry trades that are at, you know, 50 cents premium to the spot price. And I think that the, that this carry trade has really kind of hindered um, some contracting volumes for, for Cameco specifically, perhaps with Kazadam Prom as well. Although I do think they do decent term volume with the European utilities who are pretty covered. So I, I think that in this situation with a rising spot price, I think that the carry trade is, uh, very quickly dissipating. Um, it's very difficult to see out in the future with the spot price rising so quickly exactly how you're going to make your margin on a trade holding it um, even for fulfillment a year down the road. Um, so if you're talking about one to two year carry trades, you know, as a trader, what the heck do you do at this point if you can even find those pounds? So I think that the situation is setting up um, very ripe for some, for some contracting to to start to actually happen. Okay, and, and sorry, I, I do get requests, and I you know we've seen a few today from people who are just coming into, just waking up to, and coming into the uranium space. So, explain what a carry mm. trade is, please, because I think that I'll, I know I'm going to get questions. Sure. So a carry trade essentially is <clears throat> um, so there's uranium fuel traders. They're not producing the uranium. They're just buying and selling it. 
and they might never actually physically hold the uranium throughout the entire transaction. But what they might do is uh, communicate with a utility that's seeking X amount of pounds. It could be as little as 100,000 pounds, you know, up to half a million, a million over the course of uh, a delivery over a number of years. And so what they'll do is they'll say, okay, let's see the spot price you know, even six weeks ago was $25 and uh, utility is looking for a million pounds for delivery in 2022. They'll go ahead and contract um, this trade deal promising those pounds for delivery, but have yet to actually even acquire the pounds and purchase them. So you have, you actually have pounds of, of U308 or UF6 that are held at different facilities. A lot of times held at Canvaco's Port Hope facility. Um, <clears throat> When these traders will actually um, promise those pounds for delivery to a utility in hopes in the future to acquire those pounds, um, potentially at a lower price. I'm sure some of them were betting on that um, to fulfill that contract. And this has been a very common trade. Um, you know, a lot of times these these pounds are bought and sold and traded back and forth the same pound of uranium yeah. many, many times over, um, creating a reported volume on the spot market without actually ever even buying or yeah. selling or delivering these pounds. Great description. And so, yeah, yeah. So, so you've had this really um, be in a, in a relatively high volume of transacted volume, not necessarily delivered volume, over the past couple of years and and throughout, you know, the second decade of the of the two thousands. And um, now with the rising price and the volatility and the spot market sort of drying up, I think that you have a lot of a lot of the spot market movement lately, I'm sure, has been some traders covering short, yeah. um, having promised pounds onto the future, having yet to acquire those pounds yeah, okay. in addition to Cameco buying. Yeah. So, so people new to this space, it, 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 this is no different from traders in other commodities. These are just intermediaries trying to insert themselves in a supply chain by just shaving a few points, say making a little bit of money by putting you know contracts in place, and those contracts can be wide and buried in in in, in terms. So, okay, so um, thanks. I just saved me having to type sure, that yeah. out later to about it's, two, it's a middleman. You're right. Yeah, okay. it's a middleman just making small margins yeah. on, on and, transactions. And what and the point you make that sometimes it's the same pound of uranium being traded multiple times people shaving percentage points off uh you know try, trying to make margin and so this happens i say throughout the world with all commodities so um it's yep. it's not that that different really um to other areas okay so so that's interesting um you know what you what you say there with regards to um the the impact or people's perception of the impact. Can can you just tell me a little bit about um, what you think sort of this the sentiment is in the market? Because we're, again, we're seeing a lot of mixed messages. We go, obviously the bulls are going crazy. They're, they're, they are seeing this is this scenario as, as the moment that's going to really going to kick things off. We've had people on the show like John Borshoff, who's obviously. Keeps using the phrase he's talking his playbook, but you know he he is, um, but he's a little bit more cautious. But he's also pretty experienced uh, in all of this. So I'm going to so come back to the point which I asked you a second ago, which is so what do you think is going to happen with the price? We're, we, we've gone very quickly um, from you know 23 and a half, you know, sitting at 27 and a half for a long time, and then um, 
you know, we're up to 32, just over 32. What do you think is going to happen in the next couple of weeks? Are we going to get to 35? Are we going to get to 40? What are you betting on? Oh, the next couple of weeks? Um, I mean, short term is always tricky. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, but I expect it. Out? To, oh, I think it's going to continue to rise. Um, I think the spot the spot price will rise probably. Probably, I mean, you're going to see some sellers that that have been selling very little or low volume start to step in just to take advantage of the market forces at play. You know, there will be mobile in- inventory that becomes available in a rising price environment. Um, but I don't think that any of those players necessarily have a vested interest in quote unquote, keeping the price down. But I do expect to see the spot price continue to rise at least until we probably were going to see some resistance in the 40 ish range. And, I think that unless and until we hear news of because um, Adam Prom coming back online, Cigar coming back online, that's obviously going to affect sentiment. And we could see, um, even with the spot price holding around that range and not necessarily falling, because these players are not selling into the spot market. You know, the two big mine closures we're talking about, Cigar and Adam Prom. Those are not spot market sellers. With an exception, you know, Orono has been a bit of a seller in the past couple of years, and they get pounds from both their Catco JV and Kazadam Prom and, um, and Cigar Lake. But they're in a pretty precarious position with their supply, anyways, and they have a contract book. So I don't expect meaningful volume to hit the spot market when either of those entities come back on. But <clears throat> I do think that it potentially could uh, be a sentiment shift for. Um, for the market as far as equities are concerned. So it's kind of a place to watch um, for a consolidation or potentially a pullback. But if we're talking the next few weeks to potentially the next few months, I, I definitely expect a continued general rising price. Okay. Now, it, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure how I feel about it at the moment um, in terms of, you know, what, what that curve looks like is, that, you know, to... Does it fall back before it goes back? Yeah, it starts rising again. Um, I, I just don't see much information coming from the utilities. I've you know, I've got anecdotal um, you know, conversations right. I've had with regards to the fact that they're sniffing around. You know, some traders placing small orders. Uh, you know, not meaningful at all. Just just trying to see what it does for the to the price um, and I think they'll, mm-hmm. they'll sit back again and wait to see where the dust settles so I, I think mm-hmm. it's hard to, it's hard to make a call on but the, 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 the big thing I do want to talk about and maybe I'm being a little bit too investment bankerish about this one but someone said said something to me this week which was that you know Cameco stopped production for all the right reasons you know for protection health safety and so forth but they also won't come back on uh, for the you know for the reasons they they shut down. They'll come back down for come come back on for economic reasons. So it seems to me that utilities have been in the driving seat for the last two three years, and I think the funds would probably agree with that. That's what they've been talking about, um, without necessarily you know understanding or being able to control what the utilities are, are doing, but. I think there's going to be a, a movement here. If the longer Cameco decide to, I mean, in de, this phrase indeterminate is actually quite powerful because, you know, for once, they don't have to be clear about what their intentions are. And that's going to make utility buyers very nervous, I would have thought, 
it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, with all the other things that are going on with you know Kazaz and Prom, they 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 went with three months out of the gate. None of this four weeks stuff. It was you know three months. Um, there's a lot going on in the background there. Um, Namibia. We heard from Brandon yesterday about what he thinks may be going to go on there. Um, I think that utility bars are going to be a little bit nervous and for the first time in a long time don't really know what all the moving parts are and it's going to it's going to it's going to I think that's going to be the key key driver here is you know how they react over the next couple of weeks because they are meant to well apparently usually this time of year meant to announce their sort of inventory levels and I guess right. that's the one Thing, maybe one card which they they could hold back and say, well, actually, we're not going to make that announcement. We're not going to give clues. We're going to leave people guessing. Right. Or they may come out and tell us the numbers, in which case, you know, it's a much clearer picture because if right. Kamiko don't come back on till the spot price is 40, 45 bucks, um, that's a pretty scary place for you, Charlie Fires, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think you make a lot of good points there. Um, it's, it's kind of, in a way it's kind of ironic because I think that utilities, or let's just say more specifically the U S utilities, European utilities have a little bit more of a buffer as far as being covered by contracts out for the next few years. Um, but U S utilities are more in a, uh, it's not, I mean, the situation is not dire. I think that, that some of the loudest bulls are, are calling panic and saying that, literally the lights are going to go out and the plants will shut down because there's no uranium. And, you know, maybe in 2027, if, mm. you know, if some of these projects don't get funded and developed, then we could have that situation, but that's not happening next year. Um, but you have the situation where you're right. Slowly, this is shifting from, from a, a, a buyer's market to a seller's market. But at the same time, the U the U S utilities really have, a lot of uh, a lot of power when it comes to shaping how this is going to play out, and so if you have U.S. utilities start to come in and contract in a let's say a meaningful and steady way, then we're more more than likely we're going to see kind of let's call it scenario A, where we have prices rise to the cost of production for the main players. And we know for Cameco, they want contracts, at least in the 40s, and term contracts. And unless that happens, they're not bringing this production back online. I mean, that's that's the simple fact. <laughs> you know. And, then, and I'm telling you right now, they are not in a rush to bring Cigar back online. They are not in a rush to do that. Why do, why do you and say that? Hold, because they know they need they need to fill out this contract book. Their contract book falls off pretty steeply next year. They do have some pounds contracted out into the future, you know, five years ish, and a little bit beyond that. But but the bulk of their contract book um, starts to fall pretty steeply, and so and they're not going to just make this. This is a huge, complicated mine with hundreds of employees. They have a very complex business, and they're not about to risk. Uh, trusting that they can just, you know, that they can unload these pounds into the spot market that is re at a reasonable profit. They're going to operate with contracts and they're not going to sign contracts in the long term in the low 30s as the price is being reported. And so now they have this incredible piece of leverage that's like, all right, you guys come to the table or this mine is going to stay closed, period. You know, and, and this is all sort of 
under the guise of coronavirus caution, but now they're going to use this to their advantage and their leverage. And it's not, it's not, it's not manipulative leverage. It's look, these are, unless the utilities in the U S want to contract, you know, a, the bulk of their supply from Kazatomprom and Itochu that's getting their pounds from Uzbekistan and maybe a couple of other smaller players, then, then this is it. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I, th- I think it is. And I, I do try to, you know, poke a few CEOs in the ribs and you know, talk about price manipulation. But, I th- but the reality is, it's commercial imperative, and that mm-hmm. commercial right. imperative is the fact that Cameco <laughs> isn't making money at right. twenty-seven bucks. It's not making money at thirty bucks, really. Um, you know, Thirty-two bucks, you know, maybe, but it's it, it's it's not really the reason people go into business is to you know skip along at kind of just above break even. Um, sure. So I do think this commercial imperative is important in the sense that let's let's be frank here. COVID is a nice cover for why they could stop and perhaps not be hammered by the market. It's but it's. You know, it, it's also, as you say, the, re, the excuse for actually saying, no, enough is enough. We, we can't make money uh, at current rates, although, you know, we're a low, low cost producer and it's all great. We can't make enough money at these rates to be sustainable. We are buying cheap, you know, uh, pounds in the spot market uh, for the last couple of years, which kind of, you know, covered up a few cracks. But the reality is we can't do this going forward because there's not a lot of that around and we see this as an opportunity to help drive the price up help drive the message home to utilities that okay this is now serious you know the, the no more games we we need you we need you to step up to the plate you, you you bought lots of cheap pounds in the market for the last three four years it's now time to um you know, pay a proper price to allow more pounds to come out of the ground because it's not you know Cameco and Kazakhstan are what sixty percent of the market in terms of supply. Is that the sort of number? Kazakhstan Prom. Kazakhstan Prom and Cameco between them is it about sixty percent? Oh yeah, between them yeah, that sounds about right. Right. Okay. So um, the world still needs more pounds and it, and it's only growing. So sure. you know we, it, the price needs to get to a point where other producers or near term producers can start. You know, can yes. be put themselves in a position where they're going to be able to supply the the forty yes. percent or and the rest because it's an increasing number, um, and sure. people are going to need to fill up their inventory portfolios as well. So, the, what do you think that number realistically is? Because the number I keep hearing, you know, well, it used to be fifty when I think last year when people were you know trying to say, don't worry, we'll, we'll be fine. The price doesn't need to recover too much. And now I'm hearing CEOs talking about 60 um, because they think, it, you know, think things have got just a lot tighter and I think they're having to be a little mm. bit more honest about their position. Right. Um, it, it's hard to really nail down that number. I mean, you can make an, an average production cost for global supply um, you know, somewhere in the 50s, potentially into the low 60s. Um, but as far as as far as kind of the pricing environment and and where I see it going in relation to to further supply beyond the main players, I, I kind of sort of <clears throat> I see the potential for two situations, and I think that I think that like I mentioned earlier, if the utilities, if the U.S. utilities 
start to contract in kind of a meaningful and steady way, then we can see a nice precipitous rise into the $40 to $50 range for term. And, and, and there's a decent amount. Look, there's a lot of supply that can be contracted in the $50 range hmm. from Cameco, Orono, Uranium One, and Kazatomprom. Um, you know, that could be 2021, even into 2022, a couple of solid years of term contracting can soak up um, most, if not all, of that available supply from those big players in that price range. If there's a steady contracting cycle that precipitates and begins very soon. If, and that, that's kind of scenario A, that we get up into that 40 to 50 range and we kind of hang tight there as that available supply is contracted out from those entities I just mentioned. Um, if the U.S. utilities continue to sit on their hands and they all sort of rush in, let's say, towards the end of this year or more likely 2021, if they're not starting to contract very soon this year, uh, we could very well see uh, much more like a price spike type environment. And and the longer that we wait um, for that to happen, the more likely it is to happen. So those are kind of the two scenarios. I think that if we rise steadily into the 40 to 50, we could chop around there for a year, maybe a little bit longer um, before the next leg up. And that's the next leg up is once these, you know, let's call it 500 million pounds, um, super rough number, Cameco, Orono, Uranium One, Kazatomprom, the available pounds that they might be willing to contract out around that price range. And maybe it's a bit less than that, you know? I mean, if they're contracting out 80% of their supply, they might say, well, the last 20% of that is going to be a hell of a lot more expensive because that's all we've got out, out into the end of the decade. Um, and so the next leg up is all of the other greenfield projects and whatever prices they're going to need to justify to bring those on. And I guarantee that's north of $60. So... Yeah, I think that's um, right. I mean, we're, we're having a yeah. chat about the WNA nuclear fuel report um, in two, three weeks with them. Anyway, and I know people, you know, they would say the WNA numbers are perhaps need to be taken with a, with a pinch of salt, but they are used industry-wide. But And, and I say well, the reason I say that is because of them, they're not a commercial entity and they, they take the figures that are supplied by the companies um, <laughs> as fact. And sometimes the companies haven't, they're shining the best possible light on the situation. Let's put it like that. Right. Um, which, and I guess is where people like Trade Tech and UXC come in and they try and interpret the geology and perhaps give a slightly more, more cautious or realistic view of, of the market. So, but we are we're going to so we're going to talk to WNA about that and um, and try and understand you know what happens at each price point, um, yeah. moving up that curve. Because um, I, nice. I still think it would be quite illuminating for for, for everyone. Because it kind of absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's something that's something to look forward to. But um, I wanted to talk to you about. I know this is one of your uh, investments, which is which is Global Atomic. They. I, I spoke to Stephen Roman um, this week, and quite a nice PA. I mean, it's just a P PEA. Okay. Now he, he did say I've, I've done a P PEA at PFS level. So they, they feel quite confident around, around the numbers, but global atomic is again, for those uninitiated or, or, or new to the space for, you know, coming at it for the first time is one of the, I guess, I, would you call them tier three? 
probably. Is that fair? As far as the asset, the yeah. uranium asset? Tier two, tier three. It's, it, I would say two. two okay. I would say tier two. It's, it's pretty asset. high grade, all things considered, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a very interesting company. So it's headed up by a guy called Stephen Roman, who's the CEO. He was um, next Denison. In fact, they, I think his old man started Denison, founded Denison, but um, she used to be a big big player in the space. And um, they have an interesting setup there. They've got their zinc JV, JV in Turkey, so they've got um, a kind of they process um, zinc where they sort of they've actually just rebuilt the the plant. Um, Mm-hmm. end of last year so they're just sort of paying that down but this jv gives them 49 percent of a quite nice annuity stream for the next 40 50 years it's it's um very nice indeed the things you can do with an annuity stream very nice uh, paid for right but they've also got this very large uranium asset in niger which is of northern africa and where um you know the, the great and the good have been mining uranium for 50 60 years the, the french um, and it's quite a large work body, um, but they, they this week made a made an announcement. And, I mean, do you want to tell people a bit, a bit about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Global Atomics is a really interesting company. Um, it doesn't it doesn't check every box for me, but it's pretty close. Um, I, I I really like. I mean, the fact that it's a, a development story for uranium that has cash flow makes it very, very unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only other company I can think of would, might be Denison, who's exploring and potentially developing on some of their assets. They've got cash flow from the mill. Uh, well, not at the moment. Yeah, but, say. <laughs> um, but generally, yeah, usually they do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the global atomic story is really interesting to have the cash flow from that, uh, from that zinc facility, JV, and to have a very promising-looking uranium project in Niger at the same time. Um, you know, just having having that consistent cash flow is uh, it helps to de-risk um, when it comes to actually funding the uranium development. So that's kind of a nice piece. Um, and yeah, the PEA looks looks really good. Somewhere around, I think it was two hundred million dollars capex to develop, which includes um, developing the mine, getting into production, and actually building a, a processing facility as well. And uh, I'll tell, tell you the number yeah. that I liked. It was the all in sustaining cost of 18, I don't know, I think yeah. around 18, 18 and a half, something. 18 less and than, and less than 20 bucks all in. Insane, right? That 4.4 million pounds per year production, I believe. We, we, I, if which I again, correctly. that's a nice number. So, you know, it's, it's a nice those, number. We, we, you know, we've been talking to them the last year because we kind of, I'm always interested in people who have a kind of, fallback you know like like whether it be dual dual income or a business model which just mitigates risk so we, you know we, we've been talking to them for a while and we, we weren't sure whether they'd kind of at what point they'd get to uh deliver some numbers here but uh so we, you know we spoke with steven earlier this week he, it, it was, it's kind of interesting actually he was a normally he's in sales mode right yeah. <laughs> I, I think he's normally in sales mode but he was kind of quite mature and quite mm-hmm. sensible um, in in that clearly he knows what he's doing but mm-hmm. in that he just talked about the numbers uh, you know in a very you know, c- confident but c- cautious way and said you know we've we've done everything we can to ensure that we can get this mining permit 
uh, in place quickly, probably by the end of this mm -hmm. year. And, you know, they feel they know where they want to get into this sales cycle. So, you know, they've, they've made the project small, which I think is great. As you said, 200 million bucks. It's just smart. That's yeah. easily funded. You yeah. know, it gives them... Yeah. I, th I God, I'm going to try and remember. I th I, excuse me if I get this wrong, but you know, at 35 bucks, it gives them an IRR of you know 26, 27 percent. Um, mm -hmm. At 50 bucks, the IRR goes up to nearly 50 percent. It, it, it. I mean, these these are just insane numbers, but um, right. in the sense that you know, that's definitely something worth looking at. Um, it's it's investable, it's fundable, and therefore, what we want to see next is. Who's going to step up to the table? Who's going to step up the table and fund that? I think they'll. It's quite attractive. I, I I don't see too many red flags, but I'm really interested in if they've got this annuity stream in the background from this zinc, you can borrow right. against that, mm. right? You can you can borrow against this annuity stream and you, at reasonable sure. reasonable rates. If it's a forty year annuity stream, I mean, whatever the price of zinc is doing, and you know over a forty year period, makes it a little bit easier than say if it was just a you know, revenue stream of 10 years, say, because you don't know Absolutely. where you're going to yeah. cycle, right? The financing risk is, is so much lower just having that cash flow, for sure. Yeah, yeah. and like you yeah. said, so, so that, was, that was good, you know, whatever grades. Yeah. I think he was talking about a, you know, 1%, which, you know, for a non-Athabasca basin is, is, is pretty attractive. Um, again, yep. get some into this cycle, cash flowing. I think it was smart. So uh, yeah, it was it was nice to sort of see that story develop, and um, now let's see if we can get that mining permit, right? Definitely, yeah. I've 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 loosely looked into the PEA. I'm doing a pretty thorough analysis of it. Um, Going to actually have a a pretty thorough report on on their PEA for my newsletter subscribers within the next few weeks. Oh, fantastic! Um, yeah, yeah, and it looks it looks good. I mean. It's, it's as far as I know, it's the only greenfield project out there with that type of uh, all-in sustaining cost, with a with a, a reasonable likelihood of getting into production in the next few years. It's, oh, it's the only um, one. It's at the that only low one. cost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So okay. that makes it really unique company. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, okay. So that, that's 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 one of, one of your one of your favorites. Um, what what have your um, other stocks been doing this week? Anyone anyone that stood out for you? Um, well, I've been pleased to just see kind of a, a a call that I made on again to the newsletter. I mean, you know what? It doesn't even make sense to say that because everything was an absolute buy if you yeah. look at in the middle of March. <laughs> but he, you know, so he stood out. I'm not going to pat myself on the back for that one. You know, everything's gone up pretty well, some more than others. Um, um, but yeah, I think I think I'm, I'm just I'm pleased to see uranium participation close that gap um, uh, with the discount to NAV. It's it's still I think about a fifteen percent discount, but it's made a really nice run off the bottom. Mm. So that's it's. But the fact that it still has that that amount of a discount is telling me that there isn't big institutional money coming in yet to the sector. So there's still there's still incredible opportunity across the board. Yeah. Um, well, it's, they, 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 there's a topic. Let's, let's just quickly talk about this before we finish up because I know you've, you've got things mm -hmm. to do, you've got chores to do as well today, but. Um, the conversation about how who, who's been buying, right? So, you know, 
obviously the uranium funds have been sort of dipping back in and, and buying because they, they're starting to see movement here so that so that's that's good to see but you'd expect them to they're they're all in right they're uranium funds um i think you might get a few of the smaller funds looking at this but you know obviously the the, the big boys are unlikely to be able to get into this because you know that usually the fund remit is it's got to be highly liquid they've got to be able to deploy you know million bucks plus you know five million bucks at a, at a time so you know uranium companies are not really you know being fit for purpose for them and it's going to probably be a while until it is um if at all because it's this it's such a small space um but the retail guys I say we talked we touched upon this a little bit earlier to you know retail bulls and um, maybe retailer being slightly more slightly cautious, but interested nevertheless. We, we're starting to get a lot of like as I mentioned at the beginning, we're getting a lot of inquiries from generalists or gold bugs or the crypto guys who are waking up. And we 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 called this a year ago. We said the 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 investment profile for uranium is the same as investment profile for crypto. If you if you believe the thesis, I was going to shoot to the moon. Your ten bagger, twenty bagger mentality, right? Um, but we've seen we've seen a lot of buying um, this week, and indeed, you know, and, I, and I don't know what you're saying. What are you seeing from the newsletter or from this these uh, Twitter sphere or social media generally? I mean, what's the sort of sentiment you're you're feeling there? I think there's uh, generally speaking a lot of new retail um, eyeballs coming into the space. Uh, I think that there's been an increased retail buying and a decreased retail selling. So I think a lot of the a lot of the rising equities prices over the past few weeks has been uh, obviously um, inspired by the mine closures and the spot price rising. But I think that the sellers are slowing down, and I think that there's been increased retail buying, which essentially needs to happen to bring the the market cap and liquidity up for institutional to come in. Um, I think, I think if we see spot continue to rise and sort of hold, um, climbing into the mid and, and into the high thirties, I, I'm expecting in the next few months, um, and we start to see, let's say, rising weekly moving averages on the equities. I believe that we'll start to see some institutional funds flow in. They're going to go mainly into, you know, uranium participation, because yeah. Adam Prom, Cameco, NextGen. Um, uh, you know the larger cap companies, and uh, but it's going to bring a lot of attention to the sector, and really, it's it's good for the whole sector when these large caps start to move, because um, it doesn't take a whole lot of money to move the small caps. So even though the institutional funds will flow to those larger caps, the small caps, you know, a tiny amount of money coming in can move them really in re- really big ways. And I think I think uh, the other bit is the psychology to that, where the new generalist investor i not non-uranium bulls or people have not been following the story for the last two three years they're going to come in faster and thicker because they're not going to need to understand the last 20 years of uranium cycles to uh, buy into an early (laughs) thesis right right what what they're going to do is they're going to follow the crowd they're going to follow the cash they're going to um make decisions much more casually and quickly I think that's the interesting thing. So we're so at the at the moment when you get, I'm not quite sure what the price point is going to need to get to to sort of see 
the mass media really start looking at this. I think people, there's been the odd comment here or there, but no, nothing more than a paragraph. You know, it's not, it's not a story yet. But if it, you know, let's, let's, let's say that number is 45 bucks. Let's say that number is 50 bucks. I think that's when you're going to see a, a huge retail investor following, generalist retail investor following, sweep in and look for those those crazy uh, returns, which no doubt the the media will be talking about Paladin story over and over because it'll be new to them, sure. new to everyone. Um, <clears throat> yeah, in, interesting weeks ahead. Right. Methinks interesting weeks ahead. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, without huge jumps in sprot in a in a well, that was a Freudian slip, wasn't it? In a, <laughs> what, do you know? what have you heard? <laughs> well, no, I was I was I was thinking about sprot because uh, you know there's been mention of of Rick Rule saying in the past that he would consider coming in as a with institutional money as a you know purchasing physical uranium. Mm. Um, we should keep our eye out for that, not necessarily sprot in general, but um, or specifically, but. Um, funds buying physical uranium you know, that really was a big big piece of what drove the price in the in the last bull market but without spot making big jumps i think we're going to see kind of this slow rise which is honestly pretty healthy for the sector overall and eventually that institutional money is going to come in um it definitely will assuming the trend maintains and we start to see momentum you know i mean there's plenty of there's plenty of traders that are literally looking just for moving averages you know all these stocks going through the 200-day moving average on volume will bring in X amount of funds, you know. So once we have, once we have momentum on our side, we're gonna we're gonna see this trend continue because the contrarians are already on board and are and are cheerleading. Um, but yeah, it's it's just the very very beginning. I mean, zoom out to weekly charts, you can see how damn early we are. Yeah, yeah, we are, we are. Well, look. I think we better um, we we better crack on and let uh, let people go, and we should get back to our chores. I'm going to settle into a, a glass of <laughs> glass of wine and read a um, a book with David nice. David Roberts on the um, his diaries on the Holy Land. I think interesting. I know he just does. There's some amazing lithographs in there, so I'll, I'll be looking at the pictures. I was not bright enough to understand <laughs> the story. Uh, <laughs> oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. Some light reading, a little glass of wine, sounds good. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Quite right. Well, a great Saturday night. I hope so. I hope so. Well, look, um, as ever, Justin, um, thank you so much for joining us, sharing your intelligence. Um, if anyone wants to. Uh, look at Justin Hume's newsletter, Uranium Insider. I do encourage you to go to uraniuminsider.com and have a have a look around. It's um it's a good read. Good summary from a hardworking guy. He's uh it, it's it's hard to believe you're not doing this full time yet. That's 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 what I would say, Justin. When's, it's when's it happening? It's quickly getting there. It's quickly getting there. Yeah. <laughs> well I, okay well uh we'll catch up uh next week. I hope you have a good uh, weekend. Thank you, Matt. You too. Always a pleasure. Yeah, I appreciate talking with you. Mm-hmm.